want to acknowledge those of you that are watching us on Facebook and YouTube. We're so glad that you're here uh, with us. We're continuing on what's been a pretty extended series, so uh, I pray that you you don't lose or getting weary in well-doing. Um, these are things that the Lord wants us to share, and um, I really want to take the time to develop this this content um, and really have a chance to minister it. You know, some of the things that we've ministered as a part of our dynamics of destiny relationships are things that um, the Lord has ministered in my life, but I hadn't had a chance to really, you know, teach those um, in a, um, a more public forum or format. And I think that they'll be a blessing to you. And they are part of my unique contribution um, to the body of Christ. Not unique in the sense that they're all only me, but they are things that are part of the things that are a part of my um, my teaching, my testimony, and the tangible power of God on my life um, has proved and validated these principles. And you'll hear some of that um, even today. And uh, they are a part of the experience that I have as I go back to the things that uh, my natural mother and father um, instilled in my life and then have um, been a part of my transition to where I am even to this very day. Things that, um, as the Apostle Paul told Timothy, from a child you have known the holy scriptures that are able to make you wise unto salvation. If Timothy knew that from a child, he didn't do that all by himself, right? And so what we are talking about is when we think about destiny generations, is having and establishing things that will allow our generations to move more quickly along their destiny path because we've blazed the trail in front of them and been the ones that have been the pathfinders leading a way that helped them to follow us in, in the way that they should go. At the end, we have some announcements. We have some exciting things that's coming on this weekend, and so we certainly want to make sure that you are, are clear about that and we have a video presentation that we're going to share with you at the end, all right? Amen. Dynamics of destiny relationships. We've given you these four objectives. Number one, to illuminate the basic power of relationships, especially relationships that are developed for the purpose of glorifying God. Two, to elaborate on the love connection as the key to empowering relationships, the principles upon which relationships consist and by which they are maintained and enhanced. And we're going to talk some today. I may get there today. I'm going to try to at least introduce the subject, but this parent, um, the child-parent relationship, I want to really talk about that moment when, you know, when that dynamic in that relationship begins to change, right? Number three, to differentiate on the, the various types of spiritual, natural, and social relationships and their purpose for being from God's perspective. And when we talk about parent-child relationships, it is spiritual, natural, and it is social because you need to relate to them, right? Sometimes we get to the point where um, we get to the point where there is a moment when um, we haven't built up the relationship as we ought to have built it, and then you know, we just like it when we can tell the kids what to do and we can't tell them what to do, then we can't even relate to them. We should be able to have fun, right? And everything shouldn't be this crisis of parental authority, right? And then finally, the last one is to motivate you to be more intentional on your relational roles at every, at every level for relational success. And when we, and when we are describing, when we're describing this, um, we're talking about a time, we're talking about a time when um, um, in a single relationship, that that relationship has to move through various levels, right? And so that's the perspective we're having on um, parent-child relationships. All right, so our scripture, our core scripture has been Ephesians 5, 31 through chapter 6, verse 4, and then Colossians 3, 20 and 21. And it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. 
Colossians 3, 20 and 21 says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. All right? We've given you some points, and I'll just quickly talk about um, the points from Ephesians 5. We just really want to make note that there is an expectation that the children, that parents bring their children to adulthood, right? It says that a man leaves his father and mother. If he's not a man, he ain't ready to leave. <laughs> uh, there are some, some in marriage counseling, I tell, uh, I will let you know that there are some people uh, wishing that they could give a recall on their spouse. You know, we take cars that, that we sent out to production, and then there was enough defects that they didn't get fixed, and we bring them back in. We recall them so that we can repair them, all right? And so, um, and then the child is supposed to be focused on instruction. And so we're going to talk about today how do we, like, it says that when they're in that child state, obedience is the primary thing. The, 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 the understood principle is that you are our obeying parents who are themselves in the Lord, that they're not telling you some crazy stuff to do. Now, there are, there are parents who teach their children to sell drugs, to do crime, right? Those are not obeying your parents in the Lord, all right? So the expectation is, is that the assumption that the Apostle Paul was making is that the parents are giving instructions that, that God would say, I'm Jehovah, I approve that message, all right? And so from there, the intention is that they would get those things and move forward with them. Now, there is a point when they leave that obedience is not God's primary objective for them anymore, but honor should always remain. That's a lifelong principle. Interestingly enough, the apostle Paul, when he gave that scripture, quoted a text from the Old Testament. In fact, he quoted one of the Ten Commandments. Now, there's a whole section of teaching in the body of Christ that says that we shouldn't take anything from the Old Testament. Why, the Apostle Paul did. Okay, so people that say silly stuff like, because I'm under grace, there's nothing in the Old Testament that has any bearing on me. They're just, they're scripturally illiterate. They're dumb. With all of their titles and stuff. With all of the churches and stuff, they're still wrong. Okay? So we can't, he said, this is the first commandment with promise. It's a commandment. That commandment didn't just come from Paul. Paul didn't make that up himself. He was quoting what Moses got on them Ten Commandments. So if everything that was supposed to be in the Ten Commandments couldn't be something that we live by today, why would he put it in the New Testament? All right, it's one of my pet peeves. All right, now we've talked about these eight perspectives, and, I, and I'm going to go through number four and number five today. But let's just look at this list here just to remind us on where we've been in this part of the teaching, the eight perspectives on parent-child relationships. So we've talked about children in the eternal plan of God. Second is children in the womb. And our statement about children in the womb is that those children existed in the plan of God before they became a physical body. It says God gave them that physical body and put them, he put his spirit in that womb to inhabit that physical body that is in the process of development. You don't have the right to kill it. Number three, we talked about babes and sucklings. Then we, we're talking about, um, this is what we were talking about in our last session, um, young children providing, guiding, directing, and correcting, and then transitioning children to adulthood. This is as far as what I think I'll get to today. Then we're going to talk about shifting toward marriage and multiplied family, um, elderly and ailing parents of adult children, and then planning and preparing for children beyond your lifetime. All right, so let's get back into um, number, the fourth one there, and just kind of remind ourselves of some things that we talked about there. We went through babes and sucklings, and we talked about how how critical it is for 
the parent in that baby's suckling. Listen, if Jesus' parents didn't bring him to, 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 to the church to be dedicated, the whole plan of God would have been missed. If Jesus' parents didn't name him the name that God gave them to name him, the plan of God would have been missed. He would have said, I'm going to just name him Shaniqua or some other thing. God's destiny for him was so critical that the name was selected by God. And if they didn't hear that and obey that, God's whole plan for humanity would have failed. So God had confidence in them as natural parents to take care of his son. Wow. Okay. That's a big, big issue. All right. So in this young children standpoint, we've talked about that we have to train them up in the way they should go, um, that uh, we need to hear God on behalf of the children, that they become children of promise when the parents can hear God, believe what they heard, and then stand for that in the life of their sons and daughters. Right? That's a big issue. Do you know what God's saying about, you know, what is he saying about them? And a lot of times parents just had children and tried to be good parents, but they haven't spent any time seeking God about the child's specific destiny. And then they make it one size fits all, or they like this part of what one child is doing, and then they don't they don't celebrate or appreciate this other part of another child. When each destiny is distinct, and because the destiny is distinct, the development towards destiny has to be distinct as well. Right? And you can't, you can't make, why don't y'all all just be like that one? Well, they all destiny ain't like that one. Okay? Because the destiny is, is as unique as the individual's fingerprints. You know, Bishop Thompson was here talking about how he has eight children and all eight are serving the ministry, but they ain't all doing the same job. I know it because I know them. <laughs> That's not secondhand information. I know what I'm talking about, right? And so, um, but they're all serving, but the, the unique destiny of how they're serving is still distinct, all right? And so we want to be clear about that. Um, and then the last thing that we want to talk about, now this principle starts here, but should last all the way up to your last breath. And that is the principle of speaking blessing over your children is an overriding life principle. You start it when they're young. They brought little children to Jesus and he took them up in his arms and blessed them. And then the scripture says that in the, in the Old Testament, and we saw it more in the Old, um, but there is no principle in the New Testament. This is why I'm all up in arms when people just say, well, that's just Old Covenant. Listen, um, blessing, your, laying your hands and blessing is something that you should do over your children their entire lifetime. So my daughter's at, at University of Michigan. I'm about to drop her off. I stop everything I'm doing in front of her friends and who's ever. I'm going to lay my hands on your head and speak a blessing. Okay? And she knows. We're going to do this. I'm not leaving until I do this. Why? Because there's too many crazy folk around there. They, they, they trafficking folks. They killing folks on campuses like this. I got to make sure that when I'm not there, there's some ointment on her that will bring her through situations. The last thing you should be doing with the last breath you have is speaking blessing on your generations. I, I want the last thing I do is to be calling my family across around my bed in Jesus' name, telling them the Lord's taking me today. It's my day to go to heaven. And before I go, here's the blessing on you, and here's the blessing on you. This is the last thing I'm going to do is give you a blessing. All right, so that's a principle that's really critical. 
Now, um, 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 is, as we think about young child, children um, directing and, and, and correcting them, um, this, this passage of scripture in 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 is a really important one. Let's look at this. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, knowing from whom you have learned them, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All right? Now, this chapter 3 has to also be tied into what Paul said of Timothy in chapter 1, that the same faith that's in you existed first in your mother and then in her mother before her. Right? And so um, if Lois and Eunice hadn't been talking faith and then making sure that before he got grown to start putting faith in him, he wouldn't have known the, from a child the Holy Scriptures. Okay? And so, um, parents, yeah, let them learn the ABCs, but let them learn the ABCs because, A, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then go on down and learn some scriptures too. Right? We're, we are making sure that we are training and teaching them scriptures. All right? And I gave examples of how I, I used to take time when Ruby was a little child. And I, I, I purposed to find ways to make scripture um, relatable to her at her level. So I would play church with her for the purpose of making sure she got the scriptures. And then after a while, she started... Her and uh, Minister John would say stuff. I'm like, man, that was, God, that was good. Then I was like, okay. Then I realized I'm playing, but then the Holy Ghost started talking to them, not just me. Right? Remember, Peter, Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Now, when Jesus said that, he was the word made flesh dwelling among us, and his blood had not yet been spilled. So when he was saying flesh and blood hadn't revealed that, Jesus was saying, I didn't even reveal that to you. And so you can be teaching them something as a parent, and then the, Holy, the Heavenly Father starts to teach on top of your teaching to them. That's what we're looking for. When the Heavenly Father teaches on top of your teaching, then faith will come to them, and it'll be the same faith that's in you in them. All right, this is very, very important. Now, let's look at something, Proverbs 13, 24, and I'm going to have you read this out of the King James Version, all right? Because there is a, there's a word in Old Testament King James. We don't say it that way, but it's a principle that I think is very, very important. And it says, he that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him, chasteneth him betimes. Well, we don't talk about betimes. What does betimes mean? Um, I love this because this, this, the concept that's encapsulated in the word betimes, when, jo when, when God was talking about how he would send the prophets, when his spiritual children the nation of Israel were disobedient, he would send the prophets betimes. Okay, so let's talk about that. What does this word mean? There are three different thoughts built into this. One thought is early. A second thought is often. And a third thought is new starts. It says it's early because... It's easier to crush an acorn than it is to cut down an oak tree, right? So you try, you see deviant behavior in your child, you don't wait till they're 18 to, to address it, right? It's easier to fix 
at four than it is at 14 and at eight than it is at 18. Okay? And so the thought of it is I'm going to get stuff out of them early. He that spareth, he that hateth, spareth his rod, hates his son, but he that loves him, chastens him, corrects him early in his life. You start dealing with it early, and when you see it early, you deal with it often. You don't do it one time and then hope it takes. You do it often, but then the other point in it is um, you give them a new start. Man, the last 50 times you did this, this is what happened. No, I'm going to give you a clean slate. Now, if you jack up that clean slate, I'm going to deal with it again, but I'm going to deal with it like it's a new issue. Because we like it when God throws our sins in the sea of forgetfulness, but we try to bring other people's sins <laughs> on the beach of remembrance. <laughs> Here's all the times you did that. <laughs> all right? Now, we like to see a forgetfulness from the Heavenly Father, but we got a beach of remembrance. I'm just saying. <laughs> it, washed up, it washed up on the seashore. Okay? Now, let's look at the same passage of Scripture in the Amplified. Proverbs 13, 24, um, he who withholds the rod of discipline hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines and trains him diligently and appropriately with wisdom and love, right? Um, in the King James, in the Amplified Classic, it says diligently and punishes him early. So there's an early concept in it as well. There's a, there's a concept of saying, I can fix this problem while it's small, right? I didn't understand, like, mom, <laughs> listen, if you went and took something out of the kitchen without asking, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yes, sir, they're going to be, listen, you went and ate that without asking. Now, that seemed like a small issue, but she was correcting something so that later on, I knew how to leave other folks stuff alone. You understand? So we have to be careful. Like, there are stuff that people ignore saying is cute. And then when that stuff grows up, it's, it's not going to age well. Hey, my son is cussing me often. You know, one viral video of this kid throwing a temper tantrum in a in an elementary classroom. And every I mean, millions of people have commented on this thing. And then the mom, um, she is like, listen, I didn't give this teacher the right to post this video. And I don't appreciate everybody commenting on my daughter. Listen, you're going to be the one crying when that daughter grows up with that. That's why this scripture says, if you love your child, you chasten them and you correct them early. You're diligent about it. it means you're doing it often. How often do you do it? As often as they need it. And you do it early because at a certain point, the dynamic changes. Okay, now let's look at Proverbs 29:18, And it says, chasten your son while there is hope and do not set your heart on his destruction. Proverbs 19 and 18. Amen. Right? Um, I like the way the King James says it. In the King James, it says, don't let your soul spare for his crying. That means sometimes kids try to talk you. Okay, y'all never did this, but I used to try to develop, you know, big crocodile tears to see if I could cry my way out of getting the beating. And the Bible says, even though you know, they're trying to play with your emotions, you still whoop them anyway. All right? Um, now look at <laughs> Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. 15. Right? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Now, notice that you try to drive the foolishness out of him while he's still a child. Because if he moves to the next phase, you can't beat it out of him. 
Because you can't beat foolishness out of an adult. Right? Then the circumstances have to beat it out of him. And sometimes even those aren't enough. Hallelujah. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. And it says, do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with the rod, he will not die. You will beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from hell. Ah, ah, Jesus saves, but the rod helps him. Isn't that what that said? Isn't that what that said? Now, I know there's a, there is a place where people can go overboard and they, and, and they can get abusive. But there is a time, there's a thing, like, we got to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I don't want anybody's kids going in the system. But, child, uh-uh. listen, um, I didn't like it at the time, but I today appreciate the whoopings that I got. Let me say it again. I did not like it at the time. Okay? But I appreciate today the, the discipline and what it did in my life. All right? It has saved my soul. Now listen, that's not saying if I give them enough whoopings, they'll go to, they won't, they won't, um, they don't need to get saved through Jesus Christ. That's not what that's saying. But there is a certain pattern of behaviors that they won't even be tempted with because there's a certain level of training and discipline that they have from home. That's the intention that God has there. Now, are there wild prodigal children? Yes, there are. Okay, Pastor David, yes, there are. There are in scripture, you can be one too if you want to. You don't have to, but you can. And we're going to talk about making the next transition um, an important one so that you, so that you understand and you can start, start um, uh, making assessments on your young people. Now, let's look at Proverbs 29, and I'm going to read verse 15 and 17. Verse 15 and 17. Proverbs 29, 15 and 17. Verse 15 says, the rod and rebuke gives wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Notice here it says, the rod and rebuke, or um, in the King James it says, the rod and reproof. That means not all of it's supposed to be done with whippings. You You need to be able to get a level of authority where your words can bring correction by themselves. All right? So it's not just me beating them into submission. I need to be able to have conversations, son, this is wrong. This is why that's wrong. This is why I expect different and better from you. All right? We need to be able to talk about certain things and the correction take from that. All right? So don't just give them a bunch of fussing and not really sit down and talk to them some people think that the volume that they speak at their children really is the, what, what makes it a rebuke. A rebuke is something where I give you clarity. Now, I, the person receiving may not like the rebuke or reproof any more than they like the rod. But it should be clear and directional. Okay, verse 17. Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Okay, and so I am taking and, you know, um, even at the we're going to we're going to take some time here and distinguish between the child and the son levels. Right. That's that's a little bit of my next my next one. when We go from childhood to adulthood. But um, even at the sonship level, there should be um, when they're becoming a emerging adult emerging adult is the way I like it, right? It's like the seed of adulthood may be in them, but it's got to emerge. And listen, there are some people whose bodies have made it, but, they, but their inner man has not, okay? Right? That's why the Apostle Paul said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. All right, look at Proverbs 20, verse 11. Proverbs 20, verse 11 says, even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. You know, my dad was one of his sticklers. One of his sticklers was, we don't 
call children bad. That's a bad child. My dad, ah, I can hear him today. He hated, absolutely despised when people say that's a bad kid. But this scripture says whether or not we say the kid is bad, they, at a child's level, they still have developed a pattern of behaviors that can be described as good or not good. Even a child is known by his deeds, whether they be pure and right. And so um, part of a parent's responsibility is to identify, correct, and encourage or discourage patterns of behaviors while there is still prime time to positively impact their destiny. Listen, if little Johnny likes to lie, you're going to have to deal with that. It's interesting, <laughs> interesting listening to some of our things when, you know, just watching our president and, and uh, he was like, why is there such an uproar over my comments with, uh, with President Putin of, of Russia? And I'm, I said did, but I meant didn't. Okay, somewhere as a child, somebody didn't deal with that. <laughs> that pattern of, you, you quite proficient at changing what you mean to say on a moment's notice. You didn't get that proficient yesterday. That, that pattern of behaviors didn't just start when you got elected in the office. Okay? So what is that scripture saying? It's easier to fix some of these behavior patterns when they're young. Okay? So we want to watch and deal with um, you know, some of these things when they're young. Okay. Um, we also must understand that particularly in the family of God, that there is a time when if you have a non-nuclear, non-traditional family that you might have to have others assist in the process. If you are a single lady raising children, there might need to be a fatherly figure that steps in, right? I'm so glad, even if you, even if you have a father that's there, it's still to your benefit to have other fatherly figures in your life. For your children. I'm so glad that when my dad died, that there was already an established fatherly figure that had been in my development all the way up to help me. Right? Because it's hard to it's hard to build a house in a hurricane. The time to start working on that can't be when you need it. You need to have built relationship with your child and significant others before you need it. Okay, and, and listen, no one person has everything that their children need. So be okay with, with other people pouring into their destiny development. All right? I'm okay that there's other people. There's some things I have that my daughter needs, but there's other things that she needs I don't have. So I'm very purposeful about figuring out who else can fill those gaps that I may not be able to fill. And that doesn't take anything away from me. All right? And she has some clear people, like if anything happens to me and I'm not longer here, here are some voices that I trust that I want you to have connection with. Okay? Hey, I'm very intentional. Some, no, no, not that one. And if those relationships change, I'm telling her, this one doesn't change. <laughs> Why? Because I'm responsible. 
Man, <laughs> I heard Mr. Hill, your apostle here, you say, you know, I tell my children, if anything happened to me, who's, who you going to call about the church? And they said, we're going to call this one. He said, no, don't call that one. That one going to want the church. Don't call him. Call that one. He's making choices, and he's making sure that they know the choices that he's made. Somebody say amen, if that makes sense. All right. Also, understand the different roles of fathers and mothers, that um, Jesus' parents both saw a different aspect of him, and then they began to minister. So, you know, that's the one challenge we have in single-parent households is sometimes single parents think they're smarter than God. I don't need the ex because I can do it all myself. Oh, you smarter than God, are you? God said they children obey your parents, and that's not two fathers or two mothers, just so we all clear on it, but a father and a mother. And if those people aren't there, then we need to make sure that we supplement the child's development so that they get that input. You know, you know, and it's not just most times it's single mothers, but, you know, think about Bishop Marvin Winans, not Marvin Winans, but but Bishop Marvin Sapp, who's whose wife passed, he's got to make sure that his daughters get some mothering. He's got to be sensitive to that. You know, <laughs> he, he was doing some of the, at the, Pastor Kenlock's had some, some women's ministry called Don Seekers, where they have big ministry. And he was telling the ladies how he had to make sure, you know, as a father, he had to go into the feminine section of the grocery store and get the stuff his daughters needed. The, the ladies laugh. They laugh. <laughs> you know, but as a father, he's got to make sure that they get stuff that they need, even though that tends to be a mother's role. So we have to be sensitive to understand that there are other pieces, and if we are not the ones to get it, that we make sure that we, we don't become, you know, um, can I say it like this? Okay, I'm going to just say it. We don't become spiritual lesbians that say, I don't need a man because I don't need a man, then my child don't need a man. No, your child need a man. And some of them ain't saying that they want a woman, but they just saying, I don't need because I don't need, then my child don't need. And you're wrong. You know, you made one bad decision. Are you going to now make two? Okay, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to start at verses 1 through 6 and then skip down to verse 10. I want to close this section about thinking young child, young children, to let you know, like, Jesus is grading you. Say that again. Jesus is grading you on how you handle children. Sometimes, like, there are certain things that Jesus says that scares me. This is one of them. Okay, I think I think sometimes at church, um, if we're not careful, we will we will spend all of our time, you know, caring for the adults because they tithe and give offerings, and then we can ignore the children because they're children, and then we can kind of dismiss them. Sometimes we only do children's ministry because we're trying to attract the paying adults and they don't want to come to a church. Now, listen, when we talk church growth, this is what people talk about. Right. Um, hey, you need to have a dynamic youth children's ministry because you can get families who are paying and growing your church because they do. No, no. Children don't have shouldn't be afterthoughts to get their parents in the church. They have to be dealt with by themselves, for themselves, because Jesus is watching and he's grading and he is judging based on how you deal with children. Pastor David proved that from Scripture. Okay, Matthew chapter 18, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and then I'm going to read verse 10. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom? Then Jesus called a little child to him set him in the midst of them, and he said, Assuredly, now this was in red letters, this would be red, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become 
as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's stop there for a second. Jesus said, interestingly, he didn't bring the little kid in a midst of his disciples and say, hey, little Johnny, if you be like these 11 dudes, you're going to be great in my kingdom. These are the people I'm going to entrust the whole gospel with when I go back to heaven. And when you grow up, you need to be like them. Jesus didn't say that. He took them 11 people he is going to entrust the gospel with and say, oh, y'all need to be like little Johnny. And if y'all not like him, <laughs> you, will not, you will not even get into the kingdom. Now, let's look at verse 4. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Wow, you need to be like him to get in. And if you humble yourself, ah, the key aspect is the humility of a child, the willingness to learn, the willingness to be teachable, correctable, that a child has is the thing that you must have if you really want to be great in the kingdom. Now, verse 5 says, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. That me is capitalized because that's talking about Jesus. Oh, my goodness. You know, Jesus said he used this same language talking about the apostles. Matthew 10, he that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet receives that prophet's reward. He says, as uh, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. He that receives you receives me. And then he said, if anybody receives this child in the name of Jesus, I'm great. I'm treating it like you treat, like if you're treating them the way, the way you treat them in my name is you treating me that way. Jesus judges us by how we treat children. Now listen, your offering might not go up the next Sunday, but he grading it. Did we get that? He's looking at it personally. He takes personally how you treat children. All right? Um, that one, I'm going to say it the way uh, Bishop Thompson said it, that one should scare the hell out of you, literally. Okay, now let's look at verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Jesus is saying, listen, <laughs> it would be better if you were thrown overboard and drowned. It would be better for the mob to take you out and give you some cement slippers and throw you into the river. Isn't that what he said? Okay. If you got a red letter Bible, that verse is in red. So we have to be watchful on how we deal with children because he cares. He's watching it very closely. Now let's look at verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. He said, listen, the angels that are assigned to them going to tell the heavenly Father on you. Okay, I'm just saying. Like, like, you should do children's ministry with fear and trembling. That's what I'm telling you. Even if the children you minister into are the ones that you gave birth to. You, you don't, don't, don't be so easy to just be flippant with kids. Because Jesus is grading. 
All right. I wanted to, to end that section to make sure that we got that key point. Listen, all the stuff we talked about, guiding, correcting, and all of that, make sure you don't get to the point where you are dismissive of children or you just treat them like they're an inconvenience to your lifestyle. Jesus is grading. Jesus is grading. He is watching, and his eyes miss nothing. So if he's grading, that means when you stand in front of him, he's going to ask you some questions about stuff he really didn't like. Okay, I'm just saying that, that, makes, pastor, that makes your pastor nervous. I want to get this right. Anything I know God's grading very closely, I'm trying to get right. Okay, let's just make sure that we think about children the right way. We don't treat them like they're inconveniences, that they're bothers, that we don't damage them or offend them or do things in their life that make it hard for them to believe God. There are some people who are adults and then they saying a bunch of crazy stuff because of stuff that they saw when they was kids. You know, in this church hurt movement, and by the way, uh, churches don't just hurt people. People hurt the church, but that's another day. We're going to start a hurt church movement. All right, I'm just saying. Um, yeah, we got to watch that. So now we're going to talk about... Um, and I'll start, I'll start this. I won't finish this today. I'm not going to even try, but I at least want to start that one because this deals with the young children, but there is another aspect of this, the, the level of development, what we call transitioning, number five, transitioning children to adulthood. That part, this transition part has a dynamic where one part of it, the parent leads but then the parent has to start taking their hands off the controls and start letting the child lead. Because when they leave your authority, they have to know, already know how to drive. Don't make them have to figure it out when, when, they, when they've left. All right? So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 talks about Jesus. This is one of the prophetic scriptures about Jesus' life. Let's look at it. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Right? Now, there's the other part of his ministry. But the key point is he couldn't do the other part of his ministry as a child. He had to mature from being a child to being a son. You can be born the child to do it but you will not be given to it until you are the son. Okay? Because some people are still, their mentality is in the child, and they want to be given to stuff that they're not ready for. And so part of the parent's responsibility is to make sure that their children move from child to son-daughter. That's huge, y'all. That's huge. People miss that. You know, we, we talk about, you know, th there, there is times in Proverbs where it talks about a child left to itself will cause shame. But then it talks about a wise son. A wise son. It never says a wise child. It says a son is a person who is maturing to the point and then they are perfect. They have internalized the external discipline given to them by their parents in godly principle. I got to a certain point as a teenager. My parents were leading youth ministry. And for the bulk of the, I was going to say for the bulk of them heathen. That don't sound right. It was the first thing that came. Okay, let me say it. Because that was true. For the bulk of them heathen, they had to say, okay, say no. Say no to sex. Say no to drugs. Stay in school. Okay, after a while, I figured, okay, I don't want sex. I don't want drugs. I want to stay in school. So now what? 
Now, they were still trying to tell the bulk of them to say no, but then I was like, what else is, what else is there? If I don't want to do that, what else is there? And I began to read Proverbs, and God began to talk to me about destiny. And then I, I found that with the right thing to say yes to, it becomes easy to say no. Just say no is hard, but if you give me the right thing to say yes to, no becomes easy. And so that's talking about moving from a child to a son. All right, so let's, let's deal with this. The trans, this transition has a swing of energy built into it. In the early part of it, the parent is monitoring it and managing it. But for it to reach its intended results, there has to be a swing in energy where the person on the other end begins to drive their own activities. From a child, you know the Holy Scripture, but as a son, now you begin to own up to the fact that I want to walk in wisdom. I want to do what's right. I want to be the person. And you got to decide that. And your parents can't get in your head and decide that for you. My mother, my father was in heaven. My mother couldn't make me want this stuff. I had to choose to want it myself. And I had grown past the point where she could beat it out of me. Then I had to begin to make my own decisions and say, I, I can remember there was a certain day, and I can't tell you the day, but I can remember a specific day when I realized that I'm following some friends. And these, these, were, these were church friends. Um, they were in the church, but the church wasn't as much in them. And for a while, I felt like they had things that I didn't. You know, I was a little dark-skinned kid, so everybody talked about me. I was the nerdy, dark-skinned kid. And so I just felt like if I could be cool like them, everything would be okay. And then one day, I realized... I saw, I remember, I remember it, and it was a specific day, and I sat back, and I said, if I keep following them, I'm going to go where they're going, and I, I didn't say, like, if the blind lead the blind, both of them going to fall into a ditch, but that's the, that was the significance, and I had to myself, I came to myself and said, where they're going, I don't want to go. Now, some of them got saved later, but for the most part, I'm living a better life than most. And I made the decision then that if I keep going where they're going, I'm going to end up where they're going to end up. And I said, that destination I do not want. And then I pulled back and began to make a whole different set of directions. My grades changed. My attitude at home changed. A bunch of stuff changed in an instant because I, began, I had a destiny moment where I began to see that there was a future that I wanted and I could get if I made some different decisions now. That is that child to adulthood. That's coming from being a child to now being a son. All right? Then it's not a got to, it's a get to. I don't got to do this. I get to do this. Now, it's not my parents' rule. These are some standards that I begin to hold for myself. Now, it's not my parents' discipline. These are disciplines that I hold myself to, and I'm accountable when they're not around. Because when they're not around, God still is. All right? Or as the Apostle Paul said it this way, when I became a man, I put away childish things. My parents didn't make me do that. He said he did it himself. In Hebrews 11, it says, Moses, when he was of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He came of age and began to make his own decisions. All right? And they were decisions in line with the will of God. All right. Now, there are two concepts of sonship that we want to talk about. We want to talk about spiritual and natural sonship. When they, some scriptures talk about a child, and it's clear that they're talking about somebody younger than, younger than 10 or below. 
because when they get close to 12, at 12, Jesus was in the temple answering and asking. Between 12 and 17 is really, you should be in this transition really, really well. My statement is, is that between, by five, you should be saved. Really know what it means to be saved and be saved. Are they having re-saves of accountability? I knew, in, I knew in Sunday school class, in kindergarten, Sunday school class, that Sister Jones taught, that I wasn't saved. I knew what salvation was, and I knew that I wasn't. My parents had taught me enough to know that if I died in kindergarten class, I would go to hell. I understood it. I understood that they had given me enough that I understood that sal what salvation was. Now, I can't say I understood then what I knew now. I just knew that there was salvation and I wasn't. Okay, so <laughs> it's funny to think back now that I was having a theological conversation in my head that was different than what they were teaching because they was teaching. She taught at that time that the age of accountability was 12, so you weren't even accountable until you were 12. But I'm like, no, nah, I, know, I, know, I know enough right and wrong. I know too much. In, in kindergarten class, I knew what saved was, and I knew that I wasn't. Wow. Okay. So now at this age, that's up to five. When you get, when you get to 12, you should be saved spirit-filled, and God should begin to be starting to download destiny to you between 12 and 17. You need to kind of have it figured out. Because the stuff I'm walking in now, I had people, you know, my best friend in college, uh, Minister John Grooms, will tell you, I've been on the same path since he knew me. But it was in this time frame where God began to download destiny vision to me, and that's what we want our young people. If we're doing it right, now listen, some people are late boomers, I get all of that. But I'm just telling you, just like you would look at a child and say, you know, by two you should be weaned from milk and should be walking. There are some, some kind of milestones that you should have. And if things are beyond that, then we got to say, is something wrong? Do I need to do something different? Do I need to stay some kind of intervention to deal with things that have not developed on, on their appropriate course? All right. Now, there are two concepts of sonship in Scripture in the, Hebrew, in, in the Hebrew concept of son. One concept is builder of the family name. There is a concept of son that is builder of the family name. That means in your parents' generation, the name should mean something, and then you should take what you inherit as a name and then build on that name so that it's worth more in your generation than what it was in your parents' generation. I want, I want the name Johnson as it relates to ministry and business to be strong. When I introduce people to Ruby who know me in business, they should be giving her a pass just because they know me. If I did it right. Okay? Now, sometimes the name of the parent can become so big that the child gets intimidated and they don't know who they are and then they try to reject the name. Oh, my God. You know, then people get all mad. And listen, listen. I'm not a hater on our president because he got his first million from his dad. I'm trying to get my daughter her first million for business, and I want her to turn it into multiples. I ain't mad. Okay. I'm going to play the hand I got and win with the hand. I can win my, with my hand. If we do this right over multiple generations, we'll be the most dominant thing around. It may take generations to do it, but... I ain't going nowhere. My generation going to be here. So I'm going to try to make sure that I do something that propels them in a few generations down the road, man. They're going to be like, man, them, them, they got everything. If I did it right, they should have something. Builder of the family name is one concept of the, of the name of the word son. The other concept is heir apparent to the throne. 
both of those concepts are in the name son. What, <laughs> where we get in trouble is if your heir apparent doesn't build your family name. If they inherit stuff, right, the name Hilton, man, but Paris Hilton, I mean, God bless her, but she didn't help her family name out. <laughs> she partied with it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> man, I'm probably going to get counsel when I get home, like, you don't have to call people out. But I'm just saying, you know, some people take a name and they don't help the name forward. What you hate is if, you're, if, if your heir apparent doesn't know how to build your name. Okay? What's even worse is if the person who is the best builder, you don't make the heir. You get a car. You get a car. Everybody gets a car. And we try to treat everybody the same. And I'm like, no. In the Bible, everybody don't get the same stuff because everybody doesn't have the same capacity to build. What you want is the person who is the heir apparent builds the name, and then when you're not there, the sibling that's on the outside, they keep them alone. Right? I understand When I have um, nephews in trouble, part of my responsibility and building the name is to do something to help take care of them. Now, I can't save them from themselves, and I'm not going to try. Jesus saves. I cannot. But I also recognize that when they need a hand up, not just a hand out, that they need somebody who cares for them in a family way that'll give them a chance. Even a prodigal son was given a chance to get back into the family business, right? He put the robe on, put a ring. The ring was not just some jewelry. The ring was a signet ring. That means you could, you could do business in the family name and put the family seal on it. And they would know the family seal and said, the family stands behind that. When he gave him that ring back, that meant he could do business. Now, listen, he told the oldest son, everything I got is now yours. That meant he wasted his inheritance. He wasn't getting another one, but he had the chance to use the family name to build a new inheritance. Does that make sense? As a son, you got to be, listen, you make some, some, some beds you make, you're going to have to sleep in. Some meals you cook, you're going to have to eat. But you, we still have a way to bring you back in and keep you moving forward towards your destiny. The system don't have jobs for your sons that get incarcerated. They, they, they checking them at the door. Somebody in the family going to have to help them out. Okay, so we just want to be thinking about both of those concepts. Okay, um, one scripture. All right, all right. Uh, I'm, a, I'm not going to give you one scripture. I'm just going to give you the concept now, and then we'll be done for the day. Um, Jesus is both. He is both the heir apparent to his heavenly father, and he was builder of the family name. He came down. He could have just stayed in heaven with everything that the father had done, but he came down, took on the form of a servant, and did things to build up a name that's above every name, didn't he? Okay, he is the heir apparent, because if he's not the heir apparent, then you can't be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You get what you get because you married Jesus. You are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, all right? So he is the heir apparent, but he was also builder of the family name, all right? So what we want is the person who is the heir apparent to have the skills, the attitudes, the wisdom to be the builder to make it more than what it was when I got it, okay? So that is an asset test 
on whether or not we have true sons in your name. Listen, 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 listen. I'm taking the thing that I inherited as a son spiritually in my stewardship of this house, and I'm trying to make it more than what I got. That, that, that doesn't, that's not dismissive of what went before me. That's actually honoring. What you hate is, is giving it to somebody and then poof, it's gone. Oh, oh. thing that makes you cry is they have all of this stuff and then less than three years is nothing. And the parent kept all of the stuff all of their life, paid the bills, paid the taxes. And then they sell it for pennies on a dollar to buy drugs or to have fun. And they have less to hand off to their children than what was handed to them. Ah, that stuff make you want to cry. All right. So. You don't figure that out when you own death's door. You start to see that when they are making their early adult transitions. You see the seed, and then you, you got to deal with it now, but, but don't ignore. Sometimes parents, because they love their kids, ignore signs that are banging them in the face. And they won't deal with the things even a child is known by his deeds. If you can know a child by his deeds, you can certainly know an adult or an emerging adult son and daughter. This behavior pattern, listen, if Johnny will steal $5, he will steal $500, and he will steal $500,000. Okay? So... Don't ignore this small thing and then let it become big, all right? Or I like to say, don't let your children have access to the accounts without accountability. Ooh, that's good preaching, Pastor David. Okay, I am out of time. I pray that you enjoyed, um, those of you that are watching online, that this, what we shared today, really challenged you. You know, these concepts about sonship, that's not just for your emerging adult. Spiritually, you will be a son or a daughter spiritually, even if naturally you're an adult. The system of God that I see in Scripture, Timothy was certainly an adult in his own right, but he was still spiritually Paul's son. And so these principles, you'll have to walk out your entire life. Now, naturally, you'll get to a certain place and get that, that, um, that kind of uh, clarity, and you'll grow to a certain level of maturity in the natural things of, the, of, of your household and of your family's estate, et cetera. But spiritually, you'll be walking that out your entire life. And if you do it right, you'll have a line of people who will call you their spiritual father or mother and who you'll have principles that will be imparted that live on when you're around the throne of God in heaven itself.